Welcome to Skip It. This is a podcast where we try to relive that iconic 60s Australian TV show, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, following her adventures one episode at a time. I do this with my co-hosts, Lee. Hello. Hello, Ashwin. And hi, Johnny. Hey. So this episode is episode 35, The Bush Rangers, which aired on June the 17th, 1968. It features our usual family, the Hammonds, along with Clancy. A band known as The Executives in real life, the Bush Rangers in this show, joined by actor Fred Sims as Bill and some criminals, Reg Evans as Fred, Jim Bowles as Mike and Al Kenny as Jack. It's written by Suzanne Baker and Carol O'Dell, directed by Eric Fullylove. Right. So the show starts with Jerry using a compass, I believe it was. It was taking me back to my school days where we had a compass and a projector. I believe that's what he's using. Actually, Lee, just was that a compass? What were we looking at? I did note down compass, and you're absolutely right. I haven't used one of those since I would say grade eight or nine before I decided to ditch all subjects that needed me to have a compass. I can't remember what it did. What the hell was it even doing? We should specify, you know, this is not a directional compass with the north, south, east, and west. This is one of those compasses that architects use. That's the two, like the the metal prongs that you to do a circle or try to, you know, Mm -hmm. measure distances and all that. Right, that's fair. So Jerry's on a map using a compass for some reason, probably mapping out locations so he can use his helicopter to go off course and meet a woman at some future destination. But it was bringing back some memories for me. This compass object, and then suddenly the phone rings. And Jerry lets the lady on the other end of the phone know that he's not on duty and he's home alone with the Hammonds out camping and Clancy at a music exam somewhere else. So he's alone for the evening by himself. Some Pink Panther style music plays, which is a good reminder that shit is about to go down. The last thing you want in television is a surprise. Were you becoming tense here? And what did you think might happen, Johnny? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I wanted to take note of, I don't think Jerry was really utilizing all the light he could because he was doing this uh look like you know obviously very sort of complex map cartography type stuff and he's doing it over just a sort of a normal lamp you know with a lampshade and he's like really looking and every other light is off in the place so i thought that was sort of a bit like come on jerry like he was inviting a home invasion yeah exactly he was like making it so he anyone could sneak up on him and he was sort of not working at a desk either. He was leaning, sitting on a desk, leaning over the map. So Jerry doesn't know how to work on maps at all. And then, um, yeah, to see that uh, leather glove as well was uh, very, very scary. Lee, were you thinking this is quite a dark start? Were you getting worried by this beginning to the show? Because it didn't start in a very happy way. No, well, the way it's being described, it actually sounds like a very seductive scene because we've got Jerry leaning on the desk with a lamp on with all the rest of the lights off. We've got this music happening. You said Pink Panther, so it's, now it sounds like saxophone seductive music. It's like he's waiting for his date to arrive and he's just like, oh, hey, I'm just leaning yeah. back doing some cartography. Care to join me on the desk? He, he wanted to set the mood for the burglars. Yeah. Plot's there. The date is Aunt Evelyn. How good would that be? It was an unusual moment. That would be weird, though, if Matt came home and Jerry and Aunt Evelyn were getting it on. Anyway, let's move along. Um, <laughs> we all thought about it last episode. We did. Yeah. So we see, like uh, John had mentioned, a black glove on the front door handle and two shady-looking men enter. This was a bit weird for me because the house has been a sanctuary for so long. Normally, mm. criminal stuff like this happens at a cave on the National Park. So this is a bit unnerving that the house is now 
in danger. As Jerry's talking on the phone, you know, the music is, is going on and a hand is then placed on the phone and Jerry is hit in the head and knocked out. This is the fourth time this season Jerry has been knocked out. After food poisoning, being punched by a teenage boxer and crashing a helicopter, how many concussions until he checks out a new job? Lee, are you getting sick of this concussion plot twist? Are you quite happy with the way Jerry's health is going? I think because Jerry, we know he can take care of himself. Seeing him get knocked out, it's not as scary as, say, if Mark or if Sonny got knocked out or even Skippy. But the other thing that I thought was interesting, and we should have pointed it out before when I was saying how seductive the scene was, did you notice that the glass door that the criminals entered through and all the surrounding rooms were covered in a red velvet curtain? No, I didn't notice that, no. I don't know where that came from because whenever we've seen that room before, there's never mm. any velvet curtains. But you, again, it might yeah. be some blocking because they were trying to do it during the day. Um, because a lot of head. the time, if uh, something's in the way, especially outside, just put Hessian over it. Yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing was you said, Ashwin, that the criminal hung up the phone, which is correct. He was smart enough to wait for Jerry to say goodbye and yes. then he hung up the phone so that it didn't mm. give anything away to the other person. I thought that was quite a little smart trick. There. Yeah, not his first robbery for sure. Um, I honestly like to think that Jerry puts up red velvet curtains by himself when he's home alone. He wanted to set yeah. the mood, yeah, exactly. I think Lee was right onto it there because in, in a story fashion, Jerry, who can you know, supposedly handle himself. If he gets knocked out straight away, we know that we're dealing with, you know, something a bit different here because, you know, anyone can knock out Mark or Sonny. (laughs) But, but, you know, Jerry uh, or Matt for that matter, like, you know, uh, I think that maybe uh, sets the tone for it because it was interesting the choice of person being left at home. You never want a scenario like this happening when you're at home by yourself. No, no. So, yeah, they they take out the alpha. There's a lot of nice moments in the way they arrange the characters. So, at a campsite, we see Matt and Mark loading up the boot of their car. Sonny offers to race them home by running along with Skippy. Skippy was not consulted on this offer. She's conscripted into the horrendous cardio challenges of outrunning a car. Sonny's a bit of a dick sometimes. We hear a message on the car radio, Blue to Senior. Who is Blue? I don't know. Blue lets Matt know that they can't reach Jerry at home and the phone has been disconnected. Back home, Clancy returns, dropped off in a car by a Mr. Wilson. Mm -hmm. She walks into the house and we see there are books strewn on the floor. John, did you think Clancy was in danger? And what did you make of Mr. Wilson? Yeah, well, Mr. Wilson is quite a character. Like, he is uh, the uh, sort of epitome of a character. It was sort of interesting because I would have loved to have heard the conversation of Clancy and Mr. Wilson driving to the station. But um, it did feel like there was some still danger going on. And we do sort of get that elaborated on a bit earlier. And it, it, it's sort of interesting because everyone sort of comes in and gets their turn at like, you know, finding out what's happened. But she's sort of very vulnerable. So it was a little bit like, oh, what's going to happen? Can we also point out, Mr. Wilson, his bottom teeth were missing. So what was his character? Like, unless his character is homeless man, you think, wouldn't you wear dentures before appearing on a hit international TV 
show. I'm assuming he was just like a country guy that, you know, a farmer maybe that lives on around there or, you know, something like that. Someone that lives in the, around a bush. Just doesn't yeah. care about his teeth. He'll commit to the role. Maybe he's a method actor. He knocked them out before the show. Or well, a method actor. What, <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking was he would have been perfectly cast as like a prospector, you know, or something like that, like in a Western or a town drunk in a Western. Uh, so yeah. that sort of the gives you that gives you the impression of what he looks like. Got a beard, sort of a little bit shabby looking, but like, you know, not totally crazy, but he's, you know, Obviously, I, I sort of got the impression he was just a farmer or something like that. I think they really wanted it to seem like he was friendly because Clancy yeah. smiles so much around yeah. him, like so much that I thought maybe they thought, look, he could look a bit of a threat. So let's yeah. have a clearly very happy to be around him. He is a very safe guy to be around. Yeah, yeah. But there's something a little ambiguous about him, which carries on throughout the episode. But also, I just wanted to quickly do, before we go on, um, just list the actor that played Mr. Wilson. It's uh, John Gray. Um, he was actually in quite a lot of movies. So as I said, like, I'm assuming as a character actor, you know, he's goes back till 1957, uh, up till 19... 19- 74 he was in uh probably one of the more notable ones journey out of darkness the way we live heartbeat seven days from now ned kelly uh the 1970s uh one and uh riptide tv series contrabandits that sounds like an interesting uh tv series Mm. homicide homicide again as i said always going to have that one so he was in a lot of different tv shows so just wanted to make sure we credited him i wonder if he had his teeth in the other shows (laughs) (laughs) you know the homeless guy that's in back to the future that he always plays a homeless guy the guy that plays brad yes yes drunk progesterons like that's this guy's character Maybe all yeah, that. yeah, that's sort of it. And I was, I was thinking maybe it's like Jim Carrey, where in Dumb and Dumber he takes it, like he had that chip in his tooth from, um, so he, he could just take it in and out for different roles. Like you know, mm. if the one's more sophisticated, put those dentures back in. Yeah, uh, less sophisticated, take them out. Yeah, he's orally versatile. This guy now. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, he started a lot of eighties porn. Now, so Clancy looks scared as she scans the house and sees the phone line has been cut, and it's feeling a little bit like the Scream franchise at this point. As she hears people approaching, Clancy hides. Turns out to be Matt and Mark, and after finally realizing that, Clancy comes out, and as Matt and Mark search the house, Clancy sits in front of a cupboard and yells out when she hears sounds. As Matt opens the cupboard. He instinctively catches Jerry, who rolls out. It's as if Matt has caught a lot of tied-up men falling out of cupboards before. He definitely has a past, the kinky minx. Now, Jerry <laughs> explains that he got whacked while he was on the phone and wants revenge on the robbers. Despite having been immediately just concussed, Matt asks if he can fly a helicopter. Quite like this reckless side of Matt. Lee, were you keen to see Jerry get revenge? Has this become a revenge story for you, this plotline? The fact that the entire place was emptied, I mean, the furniture Mm. was what surprised me. They weren't just after money. They were after everything in that place. So Mm. the the phone wasn't even sitting on the table. The table, Jerry's sexy table that he was lying on, (laughs) completely gone. The lamp as well. Yeah. Those red curtains. Yeah, they're all gone. (laughs) Gone. So I think you're right. Like vengeance is called for in this case. And we've already seen Jerry's got a pretty fiery temper. He's he's pretty keen to get justice done. So yeah. yeah. And he he even said he's pretty keen because he owes someone a thump in the ear. 
Yeah. Well, this is a common trope in martial arts movies, you know, where someone gets beaten up and then they train and then they get revenge. So, you know, revenge is a nice, is a nice fuel because you want to see what's going to happen next. Will Jerry get to get his revenge? Were you seeing it as a revenge story at this point, Johnny? No, not too much. I, I definitely was sort of, it was definitely more of a, a mystery a bit, uh, just in the respect of, you know, that been robbed and stuff. But also what I thought was interesting, you know, it's always one of these things because when you get robbed, it's like an invasion. So they're like as these their sanctuary has been invaded so i felt like mm. it was more of like that for the family than um just jerry but for, you know it was for everybody yeah the boys run off uh to catch the robbers after this scene while clancy is left at home to clean and immediately i thought ross napier has definitely definitely written this script but it wasn't it was two ladies and clancy's at home to clean up while the boys run off to have fun she doesn't look happy Uh, Matt is on the phone to Blue to let them know their plan to go after the criminals. However, the criminals have cut the wires on the helicopter and drained the fuel tanks. So it looks like we're not going to get our airwolf-style chase scene, which I would like. Now, Sonny and Skippy are running, but Skippy stops. She's acting weird. Or maybe she didn't even want to go on this annoying man-versus-machine rape till death in the first place. As they run, Skippy stops again. And this time they see a guy in a Ned Kelly mask. Being at radio school and having no discernible friends, Sonny has probably never been to a fancy dress party before. (laughs) What does he make of this? A few more Ned Kellys turn up, or as Sonny rightly tells Skip, they're bushrangers, Skip. I bet they've robbed a bank. Sonny and Skippy watch as these bushrangers move themselves and a metal drum into a cave. Sonny runs home, tells Matt he's seen bushrangers. Matt is dismissive, saying there's no bushrangers, has been no bushrangers since last century. You feel at this point that Skippy should have delivered the news as Matt reflects her opinion more. Sonny runs off into the house and comes back with a book with some pictures of them. Says he saw the bushrangers carrying a drum, which piques Matt's interest, the word drum, because he says Sonny may have found the burglars. Matt asks Sonny if he noticed the house is different from how they left it last night. Sonny says he thought it looked a little bit funny. Matt's expression offers a nice comical moment that every dad could relate to. Lee, do you like that little comedy moment between father and son? I did, because it's the kind of thing where you go, oh, God, have I really made a kid this dumb? <laughs> it looks a little <laughs> bit funny. It's empty. There's nothing in there. And the other thing I thought was interesting was those helmets that the Bush Rangers were wearing, they were huge. And they, <laughs> they're very they ran, They were huge. And they ran out of money because only the lead had a top to it. The others, it was mm. just empty tubes, empty well, tubes. I'm pretty sure the original Ned Kelly ones don't actually have tops I don't I don't think oh, so is that right? oh, maybe so I don't know because it was just the stop bullets coming into the straight away um also at the end of that scene there was the whoop, 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 whoop. Like, yeah. that was wonderful it was yeah and the other thing though was the range station has just been emptied out when Sonny runs over and says I've just seen a bunch of bush rangers I don't know why Matt didn't think, okay, yeah. well, there's a couple of odd things going on here. Coincidental. Yeah, yeah, instead, he just immediately dismisses it. Like, yeah. there's no bush rangers around here. You sh- he should have been like, okay, that's something suspicious. Let's go check yeah. it out. It took him to <laughs> go find a textbook to then say, no, no, they look like this before he actually believed him. I was like, come on, you, you surely you believe Sonny by now. How many times has he saved your ass? Yeah, and like I said, Skippy should have been there because he respects Skippy. He doesn't seem to respect his own child. Well, no, not at all. <laughs> he should have sent three twigs in a triangle shape and a hieroglyphic symbol. Whatever the stick symbol is for Bush Rangers, I'm sure they had one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it was a test that he sent Sonny in to say, did you notice anything odd about the house? And when he came out and said, it looks a bit funny, he's like, no, I'm not believing him. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> no, he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they head off, and Clancy is at home, left at home again. Because, you know, so Mark, you know, Matt obviously thinks maybe this is a lead because, you know, they've got a drum. So they head off and, yeah, Clancy's left at home again, which she seems even more nervous about. So her emerging PTSD is slowly becoming a trope in this episode. While alone at home, she sees a man approaching again and she hides behind the kitchen counter with a saucepan. Not a knife. She's looking for a KO, not a death, which is quite responsible behavior. Now, the man is covered in mud and Clancy finally realizes it's Mr. Wilson. They have some brief banter and Mr. Wilson fails to notice the robbery. Sonny then leads Matt and Jerry to the cave. Matt enters on one side, Jerry from the other. They encounter a band called the Bush Rangers, known as the executives in real life. Now they're practicing a song. They ignore Matt as he walks in, ignore him for a minute or so, and confidently points a fake gun at him at the end of the track, showing a real rock and roll sass. Now the sound and power supply is also incredibly good for a cave. This band, as I said, is a well-known band known as the, the executives who had a, a few hits in the 60s and 70s, formed in 1966, just two years before the show, so they mm. must have picked up pretty quickly and then reformed in 1974. Matt asks, "Do you know what do you think you're doing?" The band explains they're too noisy for city rehearsals, so they've snuck into the park, similar to the boxing tent we saw yeah, a few. Yeah, seems like everyone uses the park. <laughs> yeah, it's a jumping ground for artists and sports people. So, Johnny, were you familiar with this band? And did you find it rude that they didn't stop with when the park ranger walked in? Yeah, I know. But like, uh, just, you know, being in bands, being from bands, you know, unless it's an emergency, you don't stop practicing until the end of the song. Because, you know, you don't want it to start again. Uh, I thought that was a little bit funny where they just basically went on. It's like, oh, we'll give him a show. And while he's like just grumpy face the whole time uh, walking through them. But I thought what was interesting, though, is Ray Burton, one of the members of um, the executives, co-wrote with Carol King, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm. And the group also later reformed in 1984 with the lineup of Carol King and Joan Sands on vocals. So it was a, you know, they, these guys weren't just some other pop group, but they did have um, an actor as the front man, Bill. I think he was the only one that actually wasn't in the band, but it was yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And I think their drummer went on to drum for Billy Joel, moved to the US. So Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I just clicked on the Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, Reese Clark. Uh, he's a Kiwi. He's uh, born in mm. Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah, very multicultural. Lee, what did you think about this band cave Matt theme? I liked it. it. It was a very 60s pop group. Like the music itself, the style was very much like, or maybe a bit more like the monkeys, like early monkeys. Mm. It was yeah. two guitars. It had an organ, drums. The bass though, I mean, they, I don't know if they ran out of money for a proper bass because everyone else had proper instruments. He had just one of those, like a stick with a rope, like a really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really... I think that was trying to get on that uh, blue, like that sort of. Um... Bluegrass. Yeah. Also, you know, that a lo-fi because they're bush rangers from the bush so mm. uh, like he could have just had like a bottle cap stick you know probably more suitable but um yeah but no no yeah i love that 
I did laugh though, like you said, when Matt walked in, no one stopped the song. And then at the end of the song, to add insult to injury, it ends with like a pow, pow, pow. Yeah, he shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> with these really loud pow, pow, pow. I was like, yeah, that's, they don't know who they're messing with. This guy yeah, is not cool. That's, this, this is no way to do it. But, um, in, you know, and I thought what was sort of cool was, um, cause, you know, like bands playing garages, like this is like, prehistoric garage like going into a cave i i really liked it it was cool and yeah. that song i did take down the lyrics it's like a song about colors and it's orange violent red green and blue or blue and green or something like that so yeah it's very sort of trippy sort of hippie type 60s yeah it was a good song they're quite a catchy little group so i can understand why they got this part in the show and they're also sassy which seems like initially gets your backups like why are they being so rude to matt why are they being cocks why are they being dickheads but it's a useful quality which we'll find out a bit later on in the show so they all return to the house and mr wilson informs the group that he came back because he got bogged down matt realizes that the criminals are probably bogged down too and they all together jump into a ute to go after them mark Looking at the bushrangers, asks Matt, who are your friends? Matt replies, you know, Mr. Wilson. Matt angrily says, oh, you really kill me. And it's the first bit of sarcastic bite we've seen from Mark towards Matt. Nice little teenage moment there. Did you like that little teenage moment, Lee? I did. It was fun to see. I mean, they've sort of shown some sass every now and then, but this when it happens, it's always just nice because it just adds a little element of realism to the banter. Yeah, it was a nice little moment. So they go to drive off, but this time... Clancy races after them to join in. She doesn't want to be left at home yet again. And we see the thieves are now stuck and bickering among themselves. As Matt and his posse arrive at the bogging location, Matt outlines the plan. They all lean in, but we don't hear it. Similar to what you see in cartoons, which builds some suspense. Johnny, uh, did you like this plot twist? Or more, more importantly, what did you think this plan might involve? Well, obviously, I knew it was going to involve the Bushrangers because they're, they're the sort of muscle. Um, and because also it's just weird because you'd be like, what the hell are Bushrangers doing in the bush? But um, also, I wanted to say, just take a note of the uh, the robbers. It had Fred, who was from the, a previous episode, as you would remember, who was really good at skulking around rocks in his wetsuit, uh, waiting for the people to get gold. Now, I thought that was interesting because they've, I'm not sure if they've recast him or if he's the same character, but he's back. And that's uh, Reg Evans uh, playing Fred. And there's Jim Bowles as Mike. uh, Al Kennedy as Jack. But I just thought it was, it's just so weird because it's like gone to the days where burglars will just totally take everything, you know, and have a moving truck uh, with them to take it away. It's just very, very interesting, like how much they talk because it seems extreme. (laughs) Because also they wouldn't be in this trouble because they got bogged down because they had so much weight in their truck. Yeah, well, that's a message about greed as well. I thought there was a moral story to that. Well, I didn't even see that theme. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Lee? What did you think was going to, what did you think this plan was going to involve? Violence, cunning? What were you expecting to happen? It did seem like it would be more cunning than it ended up being. (laughs) And I thought when they all came around, when Matt's like, here's what we'll do. You, you said it sounds like a cartoon. The only thing that was missing was like the sound effect of... <laughs> yeah, like the whispering sound because it was so much like that. But I thought it was here's what we're going to do. Yeah. So I was keen to see what, what happened. Yeah, it's a classic technique, but it does build suspense because you want to know what the plan is as well. So we don't have to wait long to see what this plan is. The band emerges 
in their bushranger outfits to confront the thieves. After a brief scuffle, the thieves soon realize that they're just kids in their words and start bashing them. A full-on fight ensues, with Jerry and Matt then joining in, and Clancy and Sonny as well. After looking on, this is Sonny's second time this season punching on with adults. Clancy's first. <laughs> Matt would not score well on a child services assessment. Maybe Aunt Evelyn was actually right about the sustainability or the suitability of this park for child rearing. Our Skippy does one of her famous drop kicks to knock someone out. The Hammonds and friends win, but Mr. Wilson is knocked out. They all joke saying, I thought he was on our side and then laugh. It doesn't feel like they like Mr. Wilson that much. What is Mr. Wilson's character? Was he part of them? Was he part of the good guys? John, what did you think about that Mr. Wilson being knocked out moment? I was a little bit confused. I assumed that every because what well, okay, just to give everyone a bit of context in the description of what actually happens, basically they have a massive mud wrestling fight because yeah. they're bogged down in mud. Matt and Jerry and Mark go in straight away, and there's a really great scene where Clancy and Sonny are looking on and they're all like biffing in the mud, all covered in mud. And then Clancy looks to Sonny and goes, I'm in for that. And then, and they both run in like, which I thought was just good old Australian beat the shit out of people in mud fun. I don't know. It just was a funny little odd moment and like very light. Cause you know, it was very sinister what was happening. So I thought it was interesting because Matt punches out somebody and then Skippy runs in after that and then knocks out, the, I think, the last one. We have to be honest. When Skippy rushed in, there's, there's the way that it was cut, I have to admit, I laughed out loud, even though I thought it's, again, it's animal cruelty. They cut to Skippy like she's now just like Clancy saying, oh, I want to get into this. And she is thrown so high and hard through the air into one of those crooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just Straight into the face. If I found out they had put her on a catapult, I would have believed it. Like, <laughs> launch so high and far through the air and to get to your point when they see mr wilson knocked out like it's actually pretty rough since he didn't even want to go there to start with when they're driving him there he's like i just wanted to leave and they're driving him to a brawl and then laughing when this old man's being knocked out on the floor and he probably let's be honest he already had a couple of teeth missing he's probably lost more (laughs) they should have had a thing of him smiling and his top teeth were missing as well like just completely gone yeah yeah oh and sorry getting back to that what i assumed happened was that everyone got covered in mud you know obviously everyone was sort of punching everybody else so mr wilson got knocked out accidentally while everybody else was getting knocked out. So, as I said, it took me a while to sort of figure that out. It was sort of a bit of a fun thing, but, yeah, ultimately it was sort of like, what? Why are they laughing? But they didn't mean it, I think. That's the whole thing. I think so. I think so. It's in the writing as well. Maybe Ross Napier would have written a more realistic fight scene. I don't know how many fights Carol and Suzanne have been in, but maybe, maybe Mm. plenty of don't assume anything. But yeah, it was just a weird moment, that last little unconscious joke. But back at the house, the Bush Rangers are set up in the lounge and then they perform a super catchy song, which appears to be called Hippity Hop and is a version of the Skippy theme song. They dedicate it to a special lady who is Skippy on drums. Even though the band already has a drummer, they get a second drummer just for this song. We see the Hammonds dancing charmingly awkwardly as the music plays, especially Matt. Uh, The song culminates in a mad, out-of-time drum solo by Skippy. 20 years before Animal did it on the Muppets, Skippy is a pioneering show once again. 
I think this theme song is so catchy they should replace the original mm. with it. John, what did you think about this song and this finale to the show? Oh, I loved it. Uh, it was fantastic. And as a drummer, you know, I really appreciated the Skippy uh, laid down some beats for us. Um, and she was really good for a kangaroo <laughs> with, a per- with a man using her arms to tap drumsticks taped to her um, mm. uh, hands. So really, really good considering all that. And they do mention that she's the newest member of the Bush Rangers. Uh, so I thought that was super cool. Uh, Skippy's like in a band now. And yeah, I love that song. It's super pop version. I'm pretty sure the National Film and Archive put up a clip on YouTube. So I'll put that on the Facebook so everyone can enjoy it because it's mm. a great song. And you get to see Skippy playing drums and do a little solo at the end. And Matt awkwardly, awkwardly <laughs> dance like 60s. And I wanted to bring this up because I love any TV show from the 60s where they're dancing. I love it. And my main example of this would be uh, Get Smart. If you've ever seen any of the episodes where they're dancing to 60s groovy cool music, it's awesome. It's like, it's just so fun. You just don't see that anymore. Like people just making fools of themselves. Like it is pure joy. It's always the twist, right? Is there any yeah. other dance it's, yeah. it's twisting, leaving your feet stationary and doing some awkward hand movements at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, it was a fun twist, a fun little ending to the show. I wish Skippy had gone to America and been Billy Joel's drummer instead of... <laughs> no touch <laughs> line. Maybe that's what happened instead. I don't know, in an alternate <laughs> yeah. universe. Yeah, Lee, what did you think about this ending to our show in this episode? The thing that made me feel stupid is that when they said, We've got a, this is dedicated to a special lady, somehow I thought, wait, that didn't mean Clancy do that. Be- <laughs> <laughs> so well, when they just stayed at home the whole time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And so when they did cut the Skippy, and it was such a good cut, because yeah. she immediately went into like a drum roll. <laughs> I actually did laugh out loud because I didn't see the joke coming, which made, again, I'm thinking, well, how did I possibly miss that? But when it happened, it made me laugh. And every time they would cut back to Skippy, she was playing the toms every time she was out of tempo. Like every <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally terrible. <laughs> Never was in tempo. And then, yeah, that song, that part of the end where she just did a crazy, like he said, uh, the Muppets, uh, Animal from the Muppets drum solo. It was just insane. I thought... Man, that was fun. Yeah, and the song was really good. I can agree. We should have put that as the, it was set in the, like the show took place in the 60s. Yeah, they should have just replaced it. Yeah, it wouldn't have been out of place. Yeah, it wouldn't have been. They just went for this sort of more TV style intro, but this was way catchier and more fun. Mm. And Skippy had a good, I don't think, as you said, Skippy normally gets thrown at people, thrown to dog. She would have just mm. relished the chance to just, just drum. sit behind a drum kit for a while. <laughs> yeah. The only opportunity that was missed was she had some great feet for kicking the, the bass drum. And then also, yeah. why not tie a stick to her tail and have like a drum? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that playing. Yeah. Well, that could play the bass drum or the tom. Yeah. Yeah. Massive kit. Yeah, that's triple threat. So that is the end of a very different episode in, in many ways. Let's talk about gum leaves. Lee, how many gum leaves are you giving this one? Yeah, this was one of the most interesting episodes I think we've seen. It had some of the craziest moments, and all that made me rate it pretty high. My, my first impulse, this is going to shock you given my usual ratings, my first impulse was actually four and a half. Whoa. Wow. But then I thought, no, no, I can't in good conscience rate it higher than the one that was, you know, that we've had a couple educating Aboriginal culture, and, and I thought, okay, I can't rate it higher than that. Also, it, one thing that it didn't have was maybe as many heartfelt moments, which means mm. it didn't quite get that quadrant, um, but it had everything else. I just think 
it was the madness of it that just left me feeling on a high. And yep. so I'm still going to rate it a pretty, pretty strong result because I can't discount the feeling of anarchic glee that I received. So I'm, I'm actually going to still give it in the fours. I'm going to give it 4.25. That's a very, very good score. Okay, interesting. John, what did you give it? Well, look, I, I would almost be prepared to give it a four and a half. I'm going to give it four and a quarter. I would do four and a half, but I just feel like it just didn't have enough plot there. But and, and maybe, but there were just those moments. I love 60s music. I love 60s bands. The band they had were great. The music was great. Um, the scenario was, uh, you know, had drama. It had sort of wacky comedy and it ended in them all fighting in the mud. So it was sort of yeah. quite a playful episode, which I really do enjoy them. Four and a quarter, you know, no, very good scores. I'm similar. I thought the bare bones plot wasn't super well done. Well, it was, it was okay, but it wasn't super exciting. It was, you know, they get this stuff nicked, they have to get it back. Okay, that's an all right plot. But they had a challenge in front of them where they're in a conflict, almost like a warlord has to fight another army and the warlord needs to gather soldiers. And Matt gathered soldiers in the form of a band by building an alliance. And so there was a structure to the way these characters and Mr. Wilson, they all come together to fight a war. So it was quite clever how everyone comes together because he couldn't have fought that mud fight on his own with just Clancy. So I like that the way they assemble that those characters, the song was a fun ending, the band, it's just a nice quirky sixties twist. So yeah, four point two gum leaves for me. Oh, we all gave it a four point two well, I think two four point two five. Yeah, that's pretty much the same. Yeah, no, that's yeah. it. Yeah, so definitely one of our stronger episodes. Where are we going next week, John? Okay, next week uh, we are up to episode 36. Now, this is interesting because we're up to Man from Space. Uh, This was apparently the original pilot episode, I believe. Sonny has been placed in charge of an automatic recording unit, which we have seen before, in the bush of Waratah National Park, supervised by Matt. So this must be a... uh, pilot synopsis uh, while serving servicing the box box skippy and sunny come across an injured airman who has ejected from his plane hanging by a cord of his parachute from a tree i'll leave it at that really i to see what they look like because this is episode 36 if they filmed this as the pilot that means that from this episode be 35 weeks at least I mean, that's just if they filmed it mm. one week at a time, but which, of course, they wouldn't have. So that, it could be like 35, 40, 50 weeks younger in this next episode. Like Sonny could yeah, look I'm like not sure. Yeah. Like five-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Man, Man from Space, 36, join us then. All right. Well, that's been Skip It for this week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lee. Thank you, Ashwin and John. Thank you. See you guys. Skip, 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 skip,